Robert Kraft is giving like, you know, I made this team vibes. <laughs> Four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's the middle of the off-season, which means we have to be busy at work and start all of our divisional previews. So, hey, we got Connor here. We've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's tricks down in Cork? I know Sean, you were you're, you're only recently back to Cork. Yeah, just we went on a week-long holiday to Italy. Uh, myself and my my now wife Sarah. Uh, we went to. You can fly Cork to Pisa, which is very handy. Uh, Ryanair finally uh, having a purpose for its existence. So we did Pisa, we had Florence, and we went out to Elba, which is an island off the coast for three days. It was very nice. It was very nice. It was. Um, and Sarah is obsessed now with, with Italy, um, the the food and the wine and the lifestyle and the weather. And she's already talking about getting a summer house and all this kind of stuff. And <laughs> when's the next time we can go back? So. Uh, it's, it is it is not the worst place in the world to yeah become obsessed with. Um, I imagine, <laughs> sure, I imagine there will be. Want to leave. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> there was yeah there is there's that uh, yeah we went to we went to the, the Napoleon Museum which was just his house. Um, it was a, to be fair it was a pretty crappy house for a former emperor of France so maybe, and he could see Corsica like which is just stupid. Why would you? <laughs> break why would you exile a guy to an island where he can see his home island from where he's from one yeah it's just yeah that was just a bad decision all around bad bad move uh really, Anglo- really the, versailles tier, the, the, the versailles treaty of exiles really you know yeah very good how about yourself ronan any crack uh no quite enough very busy at work at the moment we're trying to get pushed out of summer release so Gonna be uh, sledding away at that over the summer. Uh, saw the new Spider-Man. It was pretty fun, yeah. And uh, other than that, things are pretty quiet over here, yeah. Excellent, yeah. Quiet enough here. Movie. Yeah, the animated one, the Across the Spider-Verse, is that right? Yeah, one of those. Yeah. Um, I like the I like the first one of those. I look forward to seeing the, the new one. Um, yeah, no, nothing too wild or crazy here. It's been unseasonably warm in Ireland for the last few days, so kind of not been doing a ton, bit of work around the garden and and bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, at the moment, currently looking at logistics for where we might stay if we go to one of the uh, London games this year, because uh, there's a tasty enough looking little matchup over there. So we're going to see about getting our hands on tickets. No, Connor, don't moments. tell people, or else they'll, all the tickets will be gone. Ah, there are no good games in London this year. I would, I, 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 I would posit, Sean, anyone who's listening to our podcast in the off-season is aware of what games are on in London already. Um, but yeah, go go to the other game. I'm sure the other game will be great. Um, but yeah, no, we'll fly in because we've got a few bits of news to crack onto. And then, uh, as I said, we're going to kick off our divisional preview. So this week we're going to do the AFC East at... Um, so that should be good fun. A couple of good teams, a couple of bad teams. Uh, let's fly into Controversy Corner. The NFL has done some rule changes since we spoke last. Uh, Thursday night football flexing has been passed. So now they're going to be able to move a Thursday night football if they feel that they want to normally for money reasons for a network. It's going to be limited to weeks 13 to 17. They're only going to be allowed to change two games per season. And you're going to have to give basically a month's notice, four weeks notice of that happening. It causes less problems, I suppose, because at least you've got a bit of visibility on your game moving. I still don't like the idea of a game being able to move from Thursday to Sunday and vice versa, because it'll also affect kind of preparations for teams. And, uh, and, and, and you know, we've, we've talked a bit on this about how the shortened 
time in between games causes issue and Thursday night football in general might not be the world's greatest idea. Um, at least it'll be less disruptive for those traveling, but I still don't love it. And the other change they made is that kickoff, uh, on kickoffs now, the ball will be placed at the 25-yard line if a fair catch is called on a kickoff uh, and you're allowed uh, in what we'll call the 49ers breaking case of emergency rule, you're allowed to have a third quarterback uh, dressed and ready to play who won't count against the active roster spots, um, I believe. So what do we make of these rule changes? Anything jump out at you? Well, I mean, the kickoff thing is, is that's the trajectory with the, the way the game has been evolving. The kickoffs are considered too dangerous in terms of the injuries, all these players running at each other, and they've been slowly chipping it away. I think it's only a matter of time before it's effectively removed as as a play, um, um, which is sad for the, you know, we will never have another Devin Hester type, but uh, ultimately yeah, probably fewer injuries uh, in the long run. So it's to be expected. And the, t- the Thursday Night Football thing, I mean, it's... Teams hate Thursday Night Football, as is my understanding. They absolutely mm. hate it with, you know... A fiery passion um so this is just going to be something's going to it's going to end up being a nightmare the problem is it's the do you stick with a rigid schedule throughout the year and therefore have crap teams playing in later weeks or do you allow teams to move and how do you give teams a fair amount of time to do that so this 28 days thing i don't know if it really solves that i mean yeah okay the, the games that are going to be complete dead rubbers that would be like a 3 and 14 team against a 3 and 14 team you can flex out of that but it doesn't mean for example that they can get quality playoff you know teams fighting for playoff spots or anything like that they don't won't have enough flexibility to do something like that so i don't know if it's actually going to make Thursday night football all that much better i still think you're going to get some games which will be not quite up to standard near the end of the season um and yeah i mean in reality they should not have it but if they're going to have it then i guess make it watchable but i don't know if it's going to make it all that much better yeah like look jeff bezos paid the money to get thursday night football he then paid out the money to get Al Michaels on the on the mic, and obviously that's a big name, and he wasn't exactly shy about his feelings about some of the Thursday night football matchups last year. So I think this was inevitably coming, and it was definitely a split. I think it was like twenty-four to eight, and the eight was mostly the kind of traditional owners. You're like Davis's from the Raiders, the Maras from the Giants, the Rooney's from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, but obviously, as the you know the ownerships, the types of owners that are in the NFL changes to be more new money for lack of a better term then this these type of decisions are going to be made and you know they probably don't want to see the value of the tnf contract go down next time around so it kind of makes sense here and so if you look at this year for example it's like week 13 is seahawks at cowboys then patriots at steelers chargers at raiders saints at rams jets at browns like you could definitely see like a saints at rams or maybe even jets at browns since they both have a history of flaming out of being flexible and with a month's notice so you know, like I think in terms of consumers, uh, which is a terrible phrase, but, you know, it is basically what we do with the NFL. Um, it makes sense, right? And in terms of the commercial relationships they have with the broadcast, with Amazon, it makes sense. But in terms of the players, in terms of the coaches, they just kind of have to, to suck it up. And the fans particularly have to suck it up tomorrow was particularly um, annoyed on their behalf. Um, so, look, the NFL is primarily a media product now, not a, you know, event product. And that's reflected in the... Uh, the choice here that they've made for TMF. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see something come in on the more kind of like on the kickoff team on their side a little bit. I I, I heard somewhere about a, a proposal about like if the kickoff 
uh, kicker splits the uprights on the far side that they start on oh the 10 God. instead or something <laughs> that you kind of, you know, you, 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 in, you, in, I know in Canadian football, it's called, they have that, or they used to, and they have a thing called a rouge where if you manage to split the upright from the kick, you get like a point, mm. uh, which would be interesting. But, um, I, I think it's, it's salami tactics. Like there's always uh, proposals coming forward for dealing with, in particular, it's the onside kick, which is kind of the last required kick really. Mm. Um, obviously you need to have some kind of changeover, potential for the excitement purposes um so i think it's something is coming to change this completely but you have to kind of winnow it down to being so irrelevant that people won't miss it basically yeah except for the special teams coaches who will continue to be really annoyed joe judge does not approve of this change yeah uh, let's move on and have a look at crime and punishment what are they doing probably felonies in this case very much not because they don't think most of this is illegal anymore um indianapolis defensive back isaiah rogers looks to be getting quite a substantial ban coming for pervasive gambling, including on Colts games. He says he's taking full responsibility and he will accept the ban. This follows five other players suspended for gambling earlier in the off season. Um, yeah, so we can see kind of this is starting to become a bigger problem. And we do get it. We've had a lot of discussions about this on the, on the show about why you can't have people betting on it and why, you know, even at arm's length, it's kind of, it, it's difficult. Uh, what I will say, having read into this a little bit more, the NFL gambling policy is very confusing and bizarrely overreaching in parts because I totally get you can't be betting on games you're involved in. Or to be honest, just maybe in the NFL in general, because you might have insider information on it. Apparently, the NFL rules prohibit betting on any sport at any time if you're on an NFL facility. So if I'm finishing up training in the offseason, I can't put $10 on the Bulls or something um, under the under the current one. And they, 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 they queried, there was an article about them asking players how much they knew about it and showed that pretty much most of them don't know what is and isn't allowed and are quite surprised by this. Now, these, these ones with the idea of Rogers is significantly larger than that is. Um, but I can't, I can't imagine we're going to see less of this happening uh, as we move forward. So I think the NFL needs to figure out how it's educating the players on this and making sure that they know what isn't allowed. Uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's going to get really messy. Uh, two points. One, rank hypocrisy. I mean, we've talked about this endlessly. What? The NFL, the NFL brought to you by <laughs> sportsbook.com is not... It's just, it's, and it's coming in multiple sports. Well, there's, a, there's a big problem in English Premier League with this as well. The other one is, I mean, it's... Look, you've got a whole bunch of young guys with a lot of money. And for better or worse, betting is, is just a part of the sporting experience these days. It's just a normal thing for people to do. And you can talk about the how much leagues have exacerbated that. But, I mean, it's... I, I, would, I would like to see the NFL be, be lenient, but in terms of... I mean, the, the stuff you're talking about, like you can't bet at any game or any sport inside an NFL facility. That's just, just ridiculous rule. Why do they have that rule? You should have a rule where if you bet on a game that you are involved in, ridiculously heavy punishment. Otherwise, if, if it can be proven you had insider information on, on a game or something, then perhaps some that you didn't play in some punishment. But otherwise, just leave them alone. Like these are just, it's going to happen because this is how people experience sports now. Um, and you're certainly not curbing it by with all of your various um, sponsorship deals, uh, etc. So I think the NFL, would, would it would do them well to be a little bit more realistic about this in terms of how likely it is to happen and what this fish 
and punishment is. I mean, the NFL's got a huge problem in general with inconsistency regarding punishments across the board. Um, and this just exacerbates it because unless you are literally betting on games in which you are involved in, uh, and even then with the NFL, with there being like, whatever, 20, 20, 22 to 30 to 50 players being involved in every game, you have much left, like, if you bet on, say, an NBA game in which you are involved, you know, there's like 24 players total, 12 players, you know, five starters and seven backups in each team. You can make an impact on that game pretty substantially. But if you're like a cornerback or, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a special teams player, I mean, how much of an impact can you really have in a game if you're not like the quarterback or, you know, a star wide receiver or something? Yeah, like I think there's like two levels here, right? Like there's obviously what Isaiah Rogers is reported to have done and he seems to have basically got ahead of it and said mea culpa um where he was gambling on his own team and like look his effect on the ability to change a result was probably pretty limited um since he was kind of like he was a starter but kind of like a kind of like maybe 50 percent of snaps type of guy um but there were like a couple of collapses from the Colts right last year and of course with the last set of suspensions we heard about, which were mostly focused in Detroit, there was a bunch of players involved. We don't know if some of that's going to emerge in the Colts in the Colts organization now. So, look, obviously, you just shouldn't bet on your own team, and you probably just shouldn't bet on NFL games in general. I think that's probably a reasonable rule to just have, just to ensure, just minimize the possibility of those things turning terrible. And like, look, gambling being used as a mechanism to make money at the elite level of sport is relatively rare. Like you do know lots, there's lots of things at like lower levels where this kind of stuff goes on um, with organized crime and stuff like that. But at the elite level, there's so much money already involved, it's kind of hard for that to break through. Uh, but it just needs to be there. It's kind of a Chinese firewall type situation. Um, and so you see Isaiah Rogers, you know, indefinite ban almost certainly coming. That means at least one year. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a lifetime ban, to be perfectly frank, after betting on his own team. Um, so that will could very yeah. well be the end of his career. Um, CJ Moore and Quintus Cephas and Shaka Tony, who were found to have gambled on NFL games, um, obviously illegal, similar to Calvin Ridley. They're all um, out for at least a year. They'll probably try to get back like Calvin Ridley did. Um, and they have certainly not, and certainly didn't say as many dumb things as Calvin Ridley did around the time he got caught. So uh, they should have a good chance of coming back. And then you had Jamison Williams, who's probably the most substantial player in terms of on-the-field performance, uh, suspended by five games. Obviously, a guy coming in second year, a lot affected them there, probably the wide receiver two in Detroit. Um, he was kind of caught with this kind of technicality rule, where basically he was making bets, I think, on college football while on the Detroit campus. And him and Stanley Bear, Berryhill uh, were caught in that, are given five-game suspensions, which is probably excessive. And it's probably something the NFLPA will probably have to have a conversation about the next time they're negotiating the CBA, whether it's a priority or not. Um, but I think like that last bit, you know, the Athletic, they had an article, which was an investigation in inverted commas, just sound like they rang up some four players and asked mm-hmm. them, do you know what the rules are? And the last, that last bit about the kind of not gambling on campus, most of them didn't know about it. Some of them just assumed you just couldn't gamble at all or you could only gamble in the off season and stuff like that. But I think that one, it's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit unfortunate, but it is happening and whoever else might have already done it and get caught later on. Uh, or get punished later on. I, I imagine players will probably have a better feel of what isn't isn't allowed. Probably, you know, you know, don't do it. Basically, would probably the advice if you're listening to your agent. But look, as Sean says, gambling is such a pervasive part of sports culture now. We certainly know that on this side of the pond in Ireland and the UK. Um, but and it's certainly massively growing in America, really aggressively, as it's it's been legalized there. But you know, as a player. You probably have better options. You probably should pick better options, but certainly, you know, you can probably look at what these players did and just avoid that going forward. Yeah, 
the other bit of crime punishment, uh, wide receiver Antonio Callaway was arrested for driving on a suspended license. He's been released by Dallas after the charges were made public. Um, let's swing on and have a look at some transactions that happened since we talked to you last. So uh, a couple of extensions have gone on. Baltimore finally got the job done and extended Lamar Jackson, a five-year, $260 million contract with $135 million guaranteed. He has a no-tag and a no-trade clause baked in there as well, which means he will have control uh, in five years' time whenever he gets to take another bite at the apple. Um, yeah, this kind of worked out well. It's a good value for him. He kind of basically just said, give me the deal that's over there, <laughs> plus one. Uh I'll just fly through these and we'll talk about them all in a group. Green Bay have given the most bizarre contract extension in the world. Jordan Love has signed a one-year extension that's worth up to $22 million, which is an agreement he's got instead of having them pick up his fifth-year option. So he has significantly less guaranteed money on this, but he has an upside of $1.5 million extra, uh, and it just makes no sense. And yeah, we will we'll definitely talk about that when we get to that team. And your Giants de- uh, defense tackle, Dexter Lawrence, got a four-year $90 million contract, and Buffalo defensive tackle, Ed Oliver, got a four-year $68 million contract, $45 million guaranteed. And they've signed Edge Leonard Floyd to a one-year $7 million contract. So I suppose start at the top. Uh, we've talked the hind legs off this Lamar Jackson thing, but it's good to see them actually get it done, I suppose. Although if I was Lamar, I'd be feeling a little bit weird about my relationship with Baltimore, given how this played out over the last couple of months. Yeah, like I think like Sean will be talking about the Ravens later on, so I'm sure he'll have more thoughts on it then. But just in terms of the contract, as you say, it was basically just copy-paste of Jalen Hurts. He obviously didn't get that fully guaranteed Deshaun Watson contract that he seemed to be pushing for. I think, you know, the cabal of owners, if you want to call them that, um, have certainly said that that was a mistake by the Browns and it will not be repeated and they made their stand. And Lamar eventually has not caved, if you call getting paid a bunch of money paid, but probably didn't get all that he wanted, but he got enough. Uh, to be happy and to move on from here. I think for the Ravens, like, look, this, you know, a couple of years from now, this will probably be a standard contract for a top-level quarterback. So if Lamar Jackson can get back to, you know, near the kind of Pro Bowl or even back to his MVP-type level, then this will be uh, well worth it because we know the teams that don't have a franchise quarterback are in a lot of trouble. So I think for Lamar Jackson, it, it mostly made sense. I think you're, you're right about the Jordan Love contract. It's a little bit more strange, I think. The only thing he really gets out of that contract, which was an extension on top of the kind of rookie contract thing on this year, is I think that some of that money is basically brought forward this year, so he gets it in his pocket immediately. Maybe that's something that's important to him. I don't know. I don't know why it would be, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. Um, uh, but yeah, as you say, he will probably get very little. He's very little upside in terms of having getting a fully guaranteed fifth-year contract. So the team must have been pretty convincing when they said they weren't going to pick up that contract. But that's but the thing, like, it's impossible it that they wouldn't pick up the fifth-year yeah, option. Given, like. given the circumstance that they're in, where obviously they, that this is their starting quarterback this year, and they probably hope he's their starting quarterback next year, it would be foolish of them to go into uh, the next season without having some kind of guarantee around it. I suppose that's reflecting the fact that it's quite close to the fifth-year option, but yeah, it didn't really make sense um, overall. But like, look, I think he's obviously maybe trying to be the good soldier, uh, get kind of create a good buzz around them in terms of him and the team and kind of nip all the kind of speculation in the bud and hopefully have a good 2023 and build on that to be the franchise quarterback going forward. 
as for Dexter Lawrence and Ed Oliver, like Dexter Lawrence probably gets that kind of standard contract now for um, the basically everyone who's not Aaron Donald defensive tackle that next level. Like we saw similar for Def Jeffrey Simmons and Deron Payne uh, already this off season. Ed Oliver gets a little bit be- less because he's not really performed to the same level. He's a very effective pass rushing in defensive line in interior defensive lineman, not really a, an all rounder, but that skill set is still pretty valued and he got some pretty good guarantees. Uh, most of his contracts guaranteed yeah. there, so he'd be happy enough. And I then like Floyd, the p- I like the pickup of Floyd. Yeah, good Floyd, value. I'll be talking more in the, the preview, but I think, you know, with Von Miller coming off a major injury and the other guys being good, um, but not great, and maybe some questions over the long-term um, kind of contract renewals were hired there. Uh, makes sense to add, and you can never have too many pass rushers, and he's a good pass rusher, and he's probably the first of a few of these veterans who will slowly get picked up over the offseason, depending how much they hate minicamps, basically. Yeah. Uh, Sean, I'll come to you now. We had a couple of trades happen. So the Jets finally got it done with Aaron Rodgers. They've traded um, first round, first round pick this round this year and a second and a sixth. Uh, and a 2024 first round pick should 65% of the snaps get done for Rodgers. And in return, they got a first back. They got a fifth. Uh, and they have also decided to help him out by signing his friend Randall Cobb. Um good outcome i suppose out of the spectrum of outcomes that were available to the jets uh well i think they have to get their man i mean i think they they pretty much committed themselves to the process and i mean they were starting to sign packers wide receivers um already um and and, and we've talked about this already there is a this is a team that has a really good young core on both sides of the ball um, but they just do not have a, a franchise quarterback. And in a division, as we'll talk about, a stack as the AFC East is kind of what you need. It's it's a – we can talk about how useful Rodgers is going to be. I think they'll get at least one good year out of him, possibly two. Um, I, and I think the price then is, you know, whatever you pay. And I, I don't think there – you know, a tremendous amount of uh, – I mean, the, the possibility of two firsts is, you know, maybe a little bit of an overpay for, for Rodgers. But uh, yeah. if he wins, if he gets them deep in the playoffs or he wins them the Super Bowl, then the price is worth definitely a – we are, we think we're now good enough to compete at the top end of the AFC. Maybe – I'm not 100% bought in if that's true or not, but I certainly yeah. think it puts them in the conversation. Um, we'll, so we'll, we'll hop into absolutely that. Absolutely, yeah. the, the logical the logical move that Jets, Jets to do, the question would be the long term. You know, do they pay a price down the line for, for wanting success now rather than trying to build something slowly? Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia got an absolute steal here. They traded a fourth and a seventh for DeAndre Swift and a seventh after Detroit picked up Jamar Gibbs with the pick number 12. This is, in my head, an absolute steal for DeAndre Swift. Um, like, I get that Detroit obviously picked up Gibbs. They... Uh, we'll, we'll get to it in the previous... I'm very confused by Detroit's moves at the running back position, but this seems like a very good, cheap get for Philly. Yeah, like, look, Swift, as we'll talk about in the when we get to the NFC East, will be part of a rotation with Rashad Penny and Kenny Gainwell, so they don't need him to be a, a star, but in terms of raw upside, like, when this guy's been on the field, he's been electric, He's well, scores touchdowns at an incredible clip, and he's, it's just a big major injury concerns. It's the major issue, and look, I don't know what, for whatever reason, the, the, the new management has never really liked him, it seems like. They've always kind of wanted to minimise his role. Um, that, that's just by, and that, not just when he was injured, but even when he was available. Um, but I think in Philly, given the quality of the offensive line, given the quality of that offense, if he can stay healthy for the entire season, 
he certainly saw a candidate to have a major breakout season. But it kind of feels the same for Rashad Penny. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out yeah. in the Philly backfield. But for them, it, it, it could be an embarrassment of riches. But even if it's not, they'll probably survive. Cleveland trade two fifths at 2024 and a 2025 for head rusher Zadarius Smith. And they're getting a 2025 fifth and a sixth back from Minnesota. Uh, so basically, Minnesota just get rid of Zadarius Smith for nothing. I think it's a nice pickup for Cleveland. I think we'll talk about it more whenever we get to Cleveland in the previews. And the Chiefs have picked up offensive tackle Donovan Smith on a one-year $3 million deal. And they also re-signed running back Jarek McKinnon, who'd been good for them down the stretch. The only other big one to kind of flag, uh, and I'm sure we'll discuss it possibly in some previews, but we'll give you more news as it comes down, is that Arizona have released wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. They couldn't find a trade partner for him. He had a very chunky contract, um, and they think that might have been the problem. But also, it was kind of on the wall that he didn't want to be there. And if teams who wanted them just waited out Arizona, there was a good chance he would be released, and he is. So now, uh, yeah, let the games begin for the pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins' tail end last year or two. Um, Yeah, I think... For for Cleveland, we'll talk about that in the previews. Just to say for Minnesota, you know, reports are saying that they're probably going to release Dalvin Cook soon, or that's probably going to happen. It's yeah, a bit there's, more there's, there's, there's some noise floating around that yeah. the Dolphins, who we'll be talking about today, are interested yeah. in him. So, like, they, I think they are the rumors that they already tried to trade for him before the draft. Now it's a bit, they'll probably get less for him. But, like, I suppose Minnesota, basically, they're kind of in a mini rebuild. We'll talk about that at some point. Um, so, but Zadarius Smith, yeah, like, he'll be playing alongside uh, Miles Garrett, so he'll be in a good situation, I think. Yeah, Hall of Fame uh, Cleveland running back Jim Brown has died at age 87. He had a nine-season career with 12,312 yards, over 100 yards per game, 108 touchdowns, and was rushing leader eight of the 10 years that he was in the league. He won three MVPs and eight All-Pros. Uh, he had quite a bit of post-NFL career as well with acting. He was involved in civil rights and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but this is kind of... An odd combination because that's the positives and the negatives are that there's multiple lawsuits and allegations against him for a wide range of things, including sexual assault uh, and and uh, and assault and things like that. So, kind of a bit of a, a, a bit of a confusing one to try and look on because there was definitely positives, but also definitely it feels like you can't really report it without reporting like that there were some very very negative things to be said about the man as well. Yeah, I mean, leg- I mean, on the field, a legend, uh, and I'm sure that the the NFL broadcast will probably devote some time in the early weeks to to talk about him because he was a very big deal. And I mean, I don't think you can discount the fact he was he was quite an important part of the civil rights movement. Um, uh, involved in the whole Muhammad Ali thing, he was kind of one of the background people involved in that. But yes, I mean, the problem, I guess, with anybody from the 1960s or 1970s, and I think this is going to happen an awful lot as, as these kind of people start to die, is that the sexual norms were just completely different and it was, it was considered, you know, things that were considered, that are considered completely out of bounds now, uh, probably, and should have been considered completely out of, out of bounds for all time, were back then perhaps, you know, forgiven a little bit more, especially if you were a star athlete, etc. So I wouldn't be surprised if, as players of this era begin to, to die off and have these kind of legacy things that this is a, a thing that'll prop up more often um, than not. Yeah, like a huge, like checkered history in terms of his personal conduct off the field uh, and outside his uh, civil rights, like his public persona. I think the only time he got uh, prosecuted for something was for vandalism, I think after like uh, some physical dispute with his wife. And I think he failed to fulfill the kind of court terms and then going to be put in jail because of that i think he was given probation and just basically failed to fulfill probation um but in terms of on the field in terms of his status like he was obviously kind of the first 
an African-American superstar in the NFL and obviously used that platform to advocate for a lot of causes that were uh, very significant, uh, ranging from the civil rights movement to kind of trying to ameliorate gang violence and stuff like that. So a very complex legacy, but undoubtedly one of the legends of the game. And it's impossible to talk about the history of the NFL without talking about Jim Brown. Yeah. Uh, and for those who want to know, their mock draft results came in. Uh, best was our consensus pick. Uh, so between us, we were great uh, at 17 points. Ronan came second with 15 points. I came third with 13 points. And Sean came fourth with seven yeah, points. Bad year. Bad year for me. It was a uh, high quality. When, high when quality. I when I blew the the number one overall pick, that was probably the moment that I, I knew it was yeah going to be a bad year. <laughs> yeah, not 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 a strong start, we'll say. Um, I suppose with that, we'll kick into our previews and let's go in and have a look at the AFC East. Okay, so first up, we have the Bills. Uh, they've added a lot of offensive line pieces here. Conor McGovern, Osiris Torrance, David Edwards, Nick Broker, uh, Brandon Shell. They've added some skill position players in Dalton Kincaid, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, Justin Shorter, and on the defense, they've added Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, Shane Ray, Taylor Rapp, Dorian Williams, Travian Howard. And as we mentioned, they had some extensions out as well. They lost defense coordinator Leslie Frazier, Tremaine Edwards, the linebacker uh, Jawan Johnson, Dean Marlowe, uh, Devin Singletary, Isaiah McKenzie, Jameson Crowder, Cole Beasley, Jake Kumaro, and on the offensive line, Roger Saffold, Bobby Hart, and Greg Van Rotten. So uh, we'll kick off with you, Rodin, on this. Uh, this is a Bills team uh, that I will say I've had conversations with, uh, with, with Sean about this. Anyway, I have somewhat strong opinions on, and I'm kind of intrigued to see that. Do you think that this is a team now that's ready to compete and go, or is this kind of chasing a dream that's already passed them? Is this good enough to take on the stacked AFC? I wouldn't say it's passed, but it certainly feels harder than it was a couple of years ago. Obviously coming off the, Infamous, and for the Bills, that's a hard, it's a hard level to reach. Infamous, um, thirteen second loss to the to the Chiefs two years ago. Um, obviously last year everyone kind of went okay, like this was a huge knockback for you, but you still got the same kind of core. Let's see if you can put this back together and kind of show us that Buffalo are a genuine Super Bowl contender that they can hang with the Chiefs and uh, now now probably with the Bengals as well, who would probably consider to be kind of the almost like the you know. New England, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Colts at the moment. And the Bills kind of feel like they might be falling into that, like, you know, the third team that you occasionally see, but, you know, never worry too much about, like, you know, at best a Steeler situation, at worst falling into being like a Philip Rivers Charger situation. And that latter one feels particularly unfortunate and feels, uh, I almost feel <laughs> bad for saying it. But the reality is like this Bills team, like they've kept the same core together. Um, and there are reasons to be excited about the team. Obviously, starting first with Josh Allen, who obviously made that big leap two years ago, continues to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, has certain traits that are basically unique to him, in particular his arm and his ability to kind of make uh, productive passes on crossing routes into tight windows that, you know, maybe outside Patrick Mahomes, that there really isn't anyone else who could make those type of throws. And the hope here is that by improving the offensive line, which was definitely a major issue, last year you saw that particularly in the playoffs um that by you know 
solidifying that interior line that that will help keep Josh Allen a bit safer and perhaps also provide the basis for improving the run game. They obviously get rid of Devin Singletary, they bring in Damian Harris, they bring in Latavius Murray. Maybe they can just get that kind of traditional run game going and that'll obviously kind of save some of the tread in the tire for Josh Allen and kind of keep teams more on their uh, on their heels in terms of the Josh Allen run game uh, directly. And they brought in guys like uh, Edwards and the rookie broker. So, you know, it's not just those tough guys, but Governor and Sorens who are kind of being penciled in as probable starters in the interior. And they're bringing in depth there. They have given themselves options there. I think the biggest concern, though, on the offense continues to be that kind of wide receiver core. Stefan Diggs last year started doing Stefan Diggs things and being kind of have a problem off the field and saying things and kind of just be an issue like you know there's a reason he was traded away by Minnesota it's kind of an issue in terms of you know not being afraid to say what he thinks and you know there was even complaints from <coughs> Isaiah McKenzie who's actually gone now uh, but he was saying oh you know it was cold weather during the playoffs uh, when they got absolutely beat by uh, Cincinnati and you're kind of going, you're playing fucking Buffalo like you should be able to be ready for this zone so it kind of feels like when Roger Aaron Rodgers was in Green Bay and they're complaining about the cold it's like you're in fucking Green Bay like you know <laughs> you should be ready for this like do some practices you have plenty of opportunities to practice this but I don't know like I know the modern NFL is more pass oriented but you should have that in your back pocket if you're going to play in a stadium like this like certainly Bill Belichick wouldn't be found wanting on that type of form so I think the offense there's no reason it'll take a step back um I think relative thinking it should be about the same but that issue where if teams can lock down digs and if the run game can't get going with your Damien Harris or James Cook or whoever that you know are you really going to rely on on Gabe Davis to get it done or Deontay Hardy who they picked up or Khalil Shakir or is Dalton Kincaid going to come in as kind of like a a tie like a receiving tight end and fix problems I like like that could happen but I wouldn't be confident about that it still feels like you know Obviously, given where all the contracts are and the money is, like like the, uh, the there's not that many arrows to put into the into the bow on the offense, so they can be shut down by the really good defenses in the playoffs, which is really where this team expects to be. And of course, as, we, as we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this preview, um, the rest of the teams in this division are not staying still; they are getting better, at least on paper. Certainly, the Jets are getting better, and the Dolphins. No reason that they can't be good if Tua can stay healthy. So, you know, it's definitely. Uh, you know, a concern for them that things are going to be harder in this division. You would imagine they'll lose more games in this division and give, they'll make it harder to get the number one seed, which is so important. Or maybe maybe it's not since they, you know, they have problems playing in the snow. Um, then a bit of an issue. So I think for me, the biggest X factor is the loss of Leslie Frazier as defensive coordinator. You know, Sean McDermott is now going to be directly in control of defensive uh, the defensive play calling. He's obviously got experience in that role back from his time in Carolina before he got the Bills head coaching job. He's obviously a guy with a really good uh, defensive mind. Uh, but, you know, obviously the defense has been good, but not like the kind of elite defenses that maybe uh, could have been expected by all the investment that they've made there. Like over the years, really all the draft picks have gone into the defense and now they're investing more. Leonard Floyd, they're hoping Von Miller comes back. That's a big, I think they're saying Von Miller will probably be back. And I think like, you know, there was a big difference between week one Buffalo when they had Von Miller and they had a pass rush. And then by the time they got to the playoff defense where that kind of element had disappeared. And then you saw a team like the Bengals just be able to pick them apart um, slowly but surely, as well as being able to run up the middle um, where they hope obviously that some of these uh, like defensive line reinforcements like Puna Ford can hopefully make a difference and maybe keep Ed Oliver off the field on running downs and put Puna Ford in there. You know, his name's Puna Ford. You can't not have him on the field. Like, you know, I, I miss him from Seattle already. Uh, but it's definitely a situation there where, like, is that going to be too much for McDermott? I really rate McDermott as a coach. He's a great coach. But we know that sometimes when guys start to take on too much, when they feel like they're like there's a lot of pressure here, and obviously this is a huge pressure cooker environment for a team that expects to be going to Super Bowls, to be expecting to be winning Super Bowls, um, it's just... 
it'll be interesting to see how they continue to evolve. They obviously lost uh, Brian Dayball last year from the offense. Now, and Ken Dorsey, we'll see if he can continue to build on, on year one as OC. You know, it's just they're keeping things mostly the same, it feels like. But it kind of like you know the current trajectory, and it mostly feels like narrative-driven rather than actual result-driven. But in terms of narrative, it kind of feels like it's slowly, slowly moving away. It's not moving away fast. I think you're still a really good team, and as long as you have a ticket to the tournament, um, you definitely have a chance of getting there. But in terms of this team being more of a Super Bowl contender than they were a year ago or even two years ago, I'm not sure that's true. So for Buffalo fans, obviously, I would really love it to be true that they're about to win the Super Bowl. But um, unfortunately, I think. The reality mightn't get there. Now, I've, I like in terms of my pick, I've actually gone with my heart and said that they'll do better than than, than might be expected. But um, like it's a big year for them. I think it's a really big year for them because I, I don't think you can kind of keep the same core together unless they start getting to at least the AFC Championship and preferably the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, I I worry about this team from a psychological point of view. I think they've got all the talent. Etc. But this is a franchise that has historically, you know, been labeled a loser. They, you know, the the four Super Bowls in a row they lost has been their kind of defining identity for the past 30 years. And I really worry that this, the Bengals' defeat that they suffered, which was, I mean, you have to put it into context, right? This was a, and we know more than more than a few Bills fans, and all of them were talking up this being a champ last year being a championship year. This was the year when they were going to get over their their Chiefs Mahomes. They were going to get over the bump. They were going to do all that was required, and they were going to go all the way. And for it to fall apart as spectacularly as it did in a in a home divisional playoff game uh, against this Bengals team, which weren't supposed to be the big threat, but uh, now suddenly look like the second best team in the AFC in a game where their defense just was completely outplayed. Like they, they had no answer at all for what the Bengals were doing in that game. And their offense just wasn't uh, performing enough on the other side as well. Like they, they were, it's, it's, you cannot underemphasize how much they were they were humiliated by the Bengals, and that is something that's going to take something getting over. The ability to h- how strong is this team, you know, internally, in terms of their mindset, can they get over that hump now that they have not only the the specter of the Chiefs potentially on the horizon, but also if they get into the playoffs against the Bengals, then that's going to be in the back of their mind um, as well. A lot I think will depend on Josh Allen. Obviously, he's he had a bit of an injury issue in the middle of last year that kind of hampered them a bit. The questions about the defense and, and you know the pieces that they can get get together they're going to be a big question but for me i think it's going to we're not going to know this bills team it doesn't matter if they go 10 and 7 or 14 and 3 or whatever is we won't know about this bills team unless they're playing until the game against the chiefs or the bengals in the afc playoffs and how well they do in that um and i i fear that they are always going to be the team that you know that the the bridesmaids and never the bride I think they are the team that ultimately there are just a couple of teams that have their number and they just can't get over that hump. And I and I just can't see them. I, I can't see why they would suddenly discover a way to beat these teams that they can't seem to find a way around otherwise. Yeah, I, mean, I think that psychology thing is really important because like you're right, like you could you could stack up the Von Miller injury last year, you could stack up the Josh Allen injury, but then you look at say the Chiefs who obviously are winning. You know, Patrick Mahomes had half a leg and they won the Super Bowl with it. Like so. You know, I think that difference in perspective, yeah. that difference once you start getting the ball rolling, it is a big concern for them, and is my biggest concern about them. But but that's know, just I think like, we all we all want them to win, but we'll see yeah, the reality works. Like think like the thing as well is that like they can't they can't keep winning the way that they have been winning. Like 
Alan regressed as a passer last year, which is not the direction he wants to be going in because his body is breaking down. He can't keep playing the way he was. You saw that the, the coaching staff had him on a snap count for when he could get physical in plays. So, like, obviously that's not getting better. So that they, they're going to have to move away from that. And I'm not sure I see the pieces being added in here. Maybe I like Kincaid. He could be quite a nice piece for them to, to add into the receivers but like i'm not sure i'm seeing what pushes them over the hump with a couple of these players a year older and like yes von miller is excellent but von miller is another year older and off another season ending injury so like will he be the difference maker that he could have been i don't know like i, I i'm afraid i've got on with sean on this one i see them as being the bridesmaid not the bride and then slipping in the wrong direction unless they can turn around Josh Allen's development a bit because he's still a great player, but he can't play the way he was trying to play at the tail end of last year because it's not sustainable and he doesn't have the durability for it anymore. Yeah, like if this defense could step up, that would be huge. Like they have the talent there in Von Miller, they have other guys in Ed Rush like Greg Rousseau and Leonard Floyd and AJ Vanessa, and obviously in the the back set they have Matt Bologna, Jordan Boyer, Michael Hyde, maybe Trey White can get back to his best form. So look, if, if McDermott can get this defense up to being an elite defense to take some pressure off them and they can just start running the ball, those are the type of things which A will make their life easier in the regular season and which are damn important when they make it to the playoff if they make it to the playoffs. Yeah. So speaking of playoffs, uh what's what have we got? I have them going eleven and six, getting the fifth seed, uh winning the first game and then going out in the divisional round. I uh... So I have, I don't know if this is generous or cruel, but I have been getting the two seed and making the Super Bowl, but losing it. Mm. So I, I have them 11 and six like Connor, but for me, that ends up being enough for the two seed. Um, and they get to the AFC Championship game where they lose to the Bengals. Mm. I think I have them losing to the Bengals in the divisional <laughs> round in my predictions as well. Um, next up, we have the Jets. Uh, I'll talk our way through this one. So obviously the big addition is Aaron Rodgers that we talked about. What version of him do we get? Uh, is he past it? Is he not? Is he going to take his entire team to go to Ayahuasca and they're not going to be able to play football anymore? Who knows? But they've brought in Nathaniel Hackett, who was obviously intended to be paired with him previously. Hopefully he can work out better in the offensive coordinator role here. They've added a bunch of old dudes <laughs> to the offense to try and keep Aaron Rodgers happy. Um, so they brought in Alan Lazard, Nicole Hardman, Randall Cobb on the line. They've got Joe Tipman, uh, Carter Warren, Wes Scheltzer, Billy Turner on the defensive side, Will McDonald, Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson, Cl- Chuck Clark, uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, and uh, Zaire Barnes. They lost, obviously, the offensive coordinator Michael Floor. Uh, Mike White is gone, so is Joe Flacco uh, on the wide receiver room they lost elijah moore braxton barrios uh running back james robinson they also lost uh george fant mike rammers nate herbig uh ldt and dan feeney off their line and on the defensive side nathan shepherd sheldon rankins vinnie curry the marcus joiner and quan alexander so the big questions here are this is a roster that was stacked on both sides of the ball last year their defense was top of the league their offense had some of the best pieces but just didn't have a quarterback so the question is can aaron Rodgers step in and take them to the promised land uh, their offensive line is a bit in flux and that causes both a positive and a negative because if you need someone who's used to having maybe sometimes not the best offensive lines and knows how to work around them. You want an experienced quarterback like Rodgers. Your downside there is he is another year older. Is he going to be slow behind that line? Is he going to have the mobility to actually work and have the time to get what he wants to do there? So that's going to be a question. I also somewhat question some of the wide receiver core here. I know they're going for 
well, we've got our number one, so let's just bring in a bunch of other guys that can be his, can be twos and threes that he knows. So that's, you know, Lazard and Cobb, Mikael Hardman being in there for kind of jet sweeps and kind of yards after the catch kind of stuff. I'm not convinced on that. Um, but what I do, I am convinced of when I went back and looked at some stuff from last year is that at running back, they are set. Now, obviously, injury-dependent that he comes back looking fine, but Brees Hall would have been the rookie of the year had he not gotten injured last year, and everything that's coming out about him is positive. Um, now, the, the the caveat there, again, is a Rodgers caveat. If we have seen times where he's not been mad happy handing the ball off, so hopefully they'll be able to work around that. Um, the defense that was playing at an astounding level last year, has lost a couple of, of players here, as we mentioned. Uh, Rankins, Curry, uh, Joyner, Alexander, all gone from there. But they do still have Sauce Gardner. They have an excellent excellent defensive backfield, which I think will help them. And now that they have a score, they're a team that in theory can score, <laughs> it means that they don't necessarily need to hold everyone to seven or ten points to be able to win a game. Um, one would hope, at least. So yeah, do we think... This is a team that Rodgers can lead. I think potentially if Rodgers has his head screwed on right, and I think there is a lot of motivation for him to succeed outside of Green Bay to kind of show that it wasn't him that was holding them back or whatever. What that looks like is interesting. Will he allow the coaching staff to, you know, tell him what to do or is he going to try and run his own thing? Because that impacts the run pass dynamic that affects what they're going to do with these wide receivers and if Aaron Rodgers is given too much control I would be worried about what's going to happen with this team but I think Sal is a strong enough head coach to be able to rein him in a bit he knows and has worked with Nathaniel Hackett before and likes him so I think they'll be able to come to an agreement I don't think it's going to be like blow your socks off amazing but I do think this is going to be a winning season for them and I do think they're going to go to the playoffs um do you guys have anything else you want to add in on the Jets I think the personalities are are the big question mark here obviously you've got Robert Sala who has a vision has been building a young team has been progressing you know making a team that, that that was getting better as the season was going on and now you've gone in a completely other direction right now, now we, we've talked about the need for the quarterback but Aaron Rodgers is he, in a certain extent he's not the piece that naturally fits into this Jets puzzle and he is as we all know you know a bit of a, a an egotistical maniac who has lots of notions about himself and it's going to be interesting to see how that man- relationship is managed and you throw in someone like Natalian Hackett who's like a failed head coach you know regressing back down to the level i mean it, it's going to be it's either something that they have to find that dynamic between all the various you know people at the top that works and it clicks and everyone knows their role and everybody knows who's you know got the final say on things maybe it's a situation where Rodgers effectively ends up running the offense and Salah runs the defense and everyone's happy with their little wheelhouse but they have to establish that early because this is a division where there's at least two playoff worthy teams in the Bills and Dolphins in this division already and the Jets are trying to to become and it's very hard for in any division for three playoff caliber teams to you know maintain themselves therein so I I think it's going to come I think they've got the talent as I said they've got really good young core and if they get if the pieces come back you know the if if Brees Hall, for example, comes back at, at full strength and Wilson advances onwards and Sauce Gardner continues to live up to his potential, this is a really good team if you put Aaron Rodgers in there and they, they will definitely take some scalps. The question is how well it clicks in terms of personalities. What, when things start to go wrong, if they go on a losing streak, if they maybe lose two or three in a row or something, 
does this thing fall apart very quickly? Um, because it is a gamble. There's no question about this. The Jets have, to a certain extent, gambled their immediate future in pursuit of, of glory now. Uh, and on paper, it can work, but I just wonder on the actual field if it will. Yeah, and keep an eye on the defense. Obviously, they brought in reinforcements and they lost some guys. I think on on balance, probably about equal. But obviously, we know the defense as an average tend to regress. Obviously, they have a defensive-minded coach there in Robert Sala, who finally seemed to get things to come together. But you know, if that defense can be at the level it was last year, then Rodgers doesn't have to be great. Uh, he just has to be like good enough. Uh, particularly if Brees Hall comes back. But, like, yeah, this is one of those teams that I think we all ironically agree with each other on the record, but I think any of us could see them going wildly in either it, direction, it, depending it, how the vibes go. It would not surprise me if we've come, because we do have the same records here, it wouldn't surprise me if we have them all winning different games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, um, yeah, so, like, we've, we've all gone for 10 and 7. I've got them taking the sixth seed and going out in the divisional round. 10 and 7, 7 seed out in the wild card. And I also have them seventh seed and going out uh, in the wild card. Very exciting times. Uh, I have forget, to... that was a team that last year, like you know, it didn't go too bad. But like, there's a reason Elijah Moore was traded away, right? Like he was kind of an issue in the locker room. So, you know, it, they've kept it mostly on the DL, but with Rodgers in town, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if it, it is a thing of like New York media paired with Aaron Rodgers. If it starts to go badly, it could go badly real quick. And then we'd watch the guys like desperately hoping to not hit the 65% of snaps so that they don't have to give another first round pick. And there's also the issue, as with the Bills, that the Jets are historically a losing franchise. So it's mm. very hard to change that kind of mentality. Like Salah's been, you know, just, he's been spending his time trying to build a team that believes they can win. Yeah. Uh, and if things start to go wrong, recriminations will come out very quickly, I think, is the problem. Yeah. And as you said, they're kind of coming off the rebound with the failed Zach Wilson experiment. But anyway, if you're wondering why we keep talking about the Jets, it's because maybe the next team isn't quite as interesting. Oh, who knows? Who knows? Next up is the Patriots. Sean's going to take these. I'll just quickly run through ins and outs. Uh, they've added Bill O'Brien, which is an improvement. Juju Smith-Schuster, which was interesting because they paid him out the nose. And Mike Gusecki, because they just... They need all the tight ends in the league at all times. James Robinson, uh, Kayon Boot, uh, Riley Reef, Calvin Anderson, Jake Andrews, CD Sow, Antonio Maffey, uh, Christian Gonzalez, Marde Mapu, uh, Cleon White, Chris Board, Chad Ryland, and Bryce Barringer have all come in on the lo- outs. They've lost a couple of defensive pieces, so Devin McCourty, Joan Williams, Carl Davis, Jake Bailey, the punter, uh, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Damian Harris, Jonu Smith, Brian. Ian Hoyer, Isaiah Wynn, and Marcus Cannon. Um, so, Sean, I'll kind of let you attack on here, but like a little bit more of the same if it's Bill O'Brien coming back in. But I would definitely take this returning coach looking after the offense than uh, who you previously had. What's your expectations uh, for the team? Yeah, I, I actually think this has quietly turned into quite an important season for the Patriots because it's, it's year four of the post-Brady era and... The, 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 the narrative could be built that things were going in the right direction until last year. So you had year one, which is the failed Cam Newton experiment. And you can, you can say, you can go, you know, you can imagine Robert Kraft and Belichick, even though they don't have the best relationship, sitting down and going, okay, well, that was a failure, but now we'll draft a, a nice, we'll draft a good young quarterback and we'll build on that. And then they had the, the year with Mac Jones and they made the playoffs and they had, you know, exciting defense and Matt Judon was doing exciting things and everything was looking interesting. And then last year was just awful. 
I mean, they they won eight games or whatever, but it was just the offense was these most. Not only was it just ended ineffective, it was incredibly boring to watch. As a Pats fan, I found them just tedious to actually just watch this Matt Patricia experiment fail uh, in real time. So the changes on the offensive side to bring in Bill O'Brien obviously are a plus, but I do think there is a situation where Balachik now is Balachik is he's still thirty wins short of the all-time record which presumably you imagine someone like him is aiming for. Um, and the relationship with Robert Kraft is not going fantastically well. So suddenly Belichick maybe needs to start winning games and getting into the playoffs and looking at least like there's progress going on. Or who knows, questions might start to be asked about whether it's time to move on to the, to the next step. So there's, a, there's an awful lot of... It, it's a, and they're stuck in a division which has the Bills, the Dolphins, and now the Jets all looking like playoff-caliber teams. So it's a very tough spot for the Pats to be in. And thank, I mean, they're lucky that they have the best coach of all time who will produce, I think, a very good defense um, as just a standard output of the Belichick era. And then it's a question about whether this, this offense can work. So, the, I mean, the questions are... I guess in terms of the Pats are, does Mac Jones progress again? We saw a regression last season where suddenly he wasn't quite making the, the second season evolution that someone like, say, Trevor Lawrence was making, and suddenly his limitations become a lot more obvious. They've they taken out a couple of key pieces at the at wide receiver and have brought in Juju Smith-Suster. They've changed the tight ends a little bit in terms of Gesicki. I'm not entirely certain that they have a, you know, they, they don't really have a strong receiving core they're in. They replaced. They've essentially replaced a mediocre receiving core with a, a slightly less mediocre receiving core. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Devontae Parker to finally, you know, to, to step up and have a good season after last season was such a was such a disappointment. Kendrick Bourne has shown flashes, but I'm not entirely certain that that you know he's the guy you want to be relying on. Is it Ramondre Stevenson? Suddenly, does the running became become so much more important? It seemed that the Pats may be slowly moving in that direction. That suffice to say, it's not. It's the the least exciting offense in the AFC East, without a question. And even with the change of Bill O'Brien, the personnel haven't changed. And unless Mac Jones suddenly learns how to become, morph into Tom Brady, as seems to be the plan, um, it's it's difficult to see how they're going to get any more interesting uh, to watch. Um, but they'll grind it out because they have a good defense. Because they have Judon, they have Kyle Duggar had a breakout the year last year. Christian Barmore is, 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 I think he's a second, maybe third year now. He's looking exciting. They've, they've lost, they lost Devin McCourty, but they brought in Kyle, they brought in Christian Gonzalez, who's, you know, a highly titled uh, rookie that they drafted. So will he be the, the kind of the, the linchpin of that secondary again? So the problem is it feels like, another transition season it feels like this team is is has tried now twice to build a post brady era team and they haven't quite got it right either time and now this is the third attempt the third iteration at that and i fail to see where the spark is going to come from i mean the thing about the pats and thing about bill belichick is that the personnel at a certain point almost don't matter because he can he can drag good performances out of everyone but in the absence of the brady magic making the the offense tick all the time the deficiencies become a lot more visible and a lot more obvious and you you get away less with having with having mediocre players in play so that the pats I, I i i struggle to see them getting a winning season i struggle to see things getting going very well i wonder if at the end if we're going to not come back here in in june 2024 and maybe start talking about is this belichick's last year uh, uh, you know does he have only one more chance before the, the upper management starts to get bored of him so the the problems 
wide receiver, I think, is a problem still. Offensive line looks like there's some weaknesses. They're going to be, I think, relying a lot on on their defense and obviously the special teams to do their to do the the kind of the black box stuff that you don't expect. But I I still don't see it. I still don't see them in this division being able to compete for divisional titles. And certainly that's where someone like Robert Kraft is, expects his team to be. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. Can Belichick turn turn the key one last time, the, the greatest coach of the last 20 years and maybe the greatest coach of all time, because he was able to, to foresee evolutions? The question we have to ask ourselves is, can Belichick do it one more time? Can, can, he, can, he, can he turn back the clock one last time and make the Pats you know, a, a, a top-tier playoff-caliber team with so-so pieces once again? Yeah, because I think like, replacing Matt Patricia Bill O'Brien is one of the biggest upgrades in the entire offseason for any team. Basically, like Matt Patricia had no fucking idea what he's doing. There's multiple breakdowns of him trying to introduce like zone blocking scheme stuff, and it just didn't suit the team at all. And it was only when they kind of reverted to some of the traditional Pats playbook that they had any kind of success last season. And the pass offense basically didn't exist. Players were basically bumping into each other, falling over. It was so incompetent. So having someone like Bill O'Brien, who's obviously someone who's familiar with the system, who's had success with Alabama, it's hard not to see him. Um, be his more success and he can you know place the pencil in his chin instead of on his uh, ear like uh, Patricia had uh, um and you know I think it's a situation where that's a positive but is it a positive enough as you say in a really tough division and is it positive enough when the pieces around Mac Jones are just so uninspiring like Juju is now going to be a wide receiver one then like Devontae Parker who they picked up last year in a trade Kendrick Byrne is the wide receiver too Tyquan Thornton like who's going to make big plays like Tyquan Thornton's a burner maybe he can make a breakthrough but I'm not seeing the juice there like I think Stevenson has some juice but is he like going to turn into like the next Adrian Peterson or something like that I, I like I don't really see it I think he's a really good running back but he's not like elite like going to break games like say Brees Hall looked like for the Jets last year and the offensive line both tackle positions like Trent Brown been injured a lot very very up and down better with the Patriots and with other teams but still you know not great in recent years and then Riley Reef, who's always like whenever I see Riley Reef as your tackle I'm always like that's going to be a problem um, or it's going to be him or Calvin Anderson I'd like I so you know is Mac Jones going to be given the space to kind of rebuild his career I think he's going to have a better season than last season but that's not saying much and then it's just really in an AFC like this if they can somehow manage to sneak into the playoffs they're going to get shown up because no matter how good this defense is and it's probably going to be again a really good defense we see that against the very best quarterbacks that the genius of Belichick comes up against the basically the superhuman abilities of the Josh Allens of the Patrick Mahomes and the tight windows aren't tight enough there is no window tight enough for them and they they do get blown up like the Bills have had their number after the last few years when there hasn't been a squall going on um so I'd say for the Patriots like like I can never see them collapsing, which is kind of the problem. Because like, even if you think of like Andy Reid when he left the the Eagles, they had that collapse here. It's hard to see the collapse happening that would give uh, Kraft the the kind of the, the background he would need to fire him. Uh, but this purgatory is going on a long time, and you know, for someone who's done so much, you know, it kind of feels like this could go on forever if he wanted it to. And you know, Bill's not above spite. Let's be honest. Fair, fair. So we think that there's no risk that the end of this season will result in Bill Belichick being shown the door. We think he's definitely got two years left. Robert Kraft is giving like, you know, I made this team vibes. Like there's definitely vibes that he's like, yeah, you know, that's maybe what I'm I picking was, up. 
you know, I was the one who kept Tom Brady around longer than Bill Belichick want. We got those extra championships. Maybe I'm the architect, and therefore this this guy, you know, he's yesterday's news. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the next hot thing or make Bill O'Brien the fucking head coach. I don't know. Um, but should he do it? No. But could it happen? Yeah, it might happen. I I. Mm, it would make man. him very unpopular. Um, I think they season like a four win season then i think that's the only way it's going to happen if they have another eight and nine season i can see a ultimatum of you need to turn this into a, a 10 11 win team next you know in 2024 yeah or you're out the door i can see yeah. i can see next summer being the crisis um because i don't think they're quite there yet speaking when of it when you hear craft now i'm getting jerry jones vibes off him that's what i get off him these days mm. <laughs> So we're speaking of eight or nine win seasons. I've got them going eight and nine. <laughs> That's good for the tenth seed. Nine uh, and eight, tenth seed here. I have eight and nine for tenth seed. And I, yeah, whatever about the Jets and their variance, I think eight and nine or nine and eight is basically where this team is going to end up. Yeah. Um, um, like, like, look, they they got a lot of the defense. If Bill O'Brien can cause a bit of a you know a action on the offense, maybe something more is possible. But it's it's, it's a tough ask in this division at the moment. Uh, and finally, we're going to look at the Dolphins. So Ronan's going to take these guys as to the ins and outs. So we've got Vic Fangio has joined alongside uh, Jalen Ramsey, Cam Smith, Deshaun Elliott, David Long, Malik Reed, Mike White, Braxton Berrios, Chosen Anderson, Frankie Swain, uh, Devin Arcane. Also, Eric Sober, Tyler Croft, Isaiah Wynn, Dan Freeney, Cedric Obadue, and John Lovett. They lost Teddy Bridgewater, Micah Sicky, Hunter Long, uh, Adam Thielen, Trent Sherfield on the defensive side, Byron Jones, Eric Rowe, uh, Eldon Roberts, Trey Flowers, Melvin Ingram, John Jenkins, Michael Dieter, uh, Brandon Shell, Greg Little, and Eric Fisher from the offensive line. Uh, obviously, Ronan, this was a team that a lot of the narrative last year was to, was, was essentially this Tua concussion issue and what they could have been if it wasn't for, 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 for that. Uh, they've brought in Mike White to be the backup, but Tua is also saying that he's now healthy. Uh, tell us a bit about the Dolphins and where you think they're going to go. He's not just healthy, Connor. He's been learning judo to learn how to fall better. That's always a reassuring uh, uh, factoid to get from your quarterback. It's just falling with to... style. <laughs> yeah. I know how to not fall on my head. Um, brilliant, excellent. I, I love it for you, Tua. Um, yeah, this is one. Of the, this is alongside the Jets. Like these are high variance teams, right? These are teams where, like, if this all comes together, and like the Dolphins, like some of these are superstar moves, right? Like getting in the kind of for a defensive coordinator, superstar name, Big Fangio. Obviously, kind of his defense has kind of become the de facto like defense in the NFL, like the, 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 the defense du jour. And so you get the original guy after a year out of football, after, you know, a somewhat unsuccessful Denver coaching uh, run, although, you know, maybe less unsuccessful given what came after him. Um, and then you get Jalen Ramsey in a trade. So you add in that juice beside uh, Xavier and Howard um, after you lose Byron Jones, which is kind of a failed free agent uh, uh, situation. And of course, on the offense, you know, Tua, when he was on the field, looked really, really good, primarily because Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle is one of the most unstoppable wide receiver duos in the NFL. Tyreek Hill, obviously a force of nature, someone who can defeat defenses single-handedly with his combination of speed, but also his ability to basically create just the most confusion for defensive backs at the top of his rights. It was absolutely dominant when he was at the Chiefs, and he was dominant again uh, with Tua. There was certainly no drop-down in terms of his production there. 
Um, so I think he was happy out with that. And, you know, Jalen Waddle, you know, uh, most teams would kill to have a wide receiver one like Jalen Waddle. To have him as your wide receiver two is ridiculous, ridiculous uh, over overachievement for this offense. Now, there is a little bit of an issue that, like, outside them, there isn't really that much going on. Like, their next option is, like, Braxton Berrios or Cedric Wilson. Um, and their, like, their tight end position, which they don't really use, to be honest, is, like, Durham Smythe and Eric Saubert. But, you know, with those two guys staying healthy and with the run game being effective enough under Mike McDaniel, obviously coming from the Shanahan tree, um, that, like, its own run game works well with guys like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And, and some people are hyping up the rookie A-chain a um, potentially. Um, like there is enough there if everyone stays healthy but of course the one that they have to keep healthy is Tua and you know I think he is someone where there's huge questions right like you know you know like you know once bitten twice uh, you know first time like you know it's it's okay you know everyone anyone getting concussions second time you're like okay maybe there's an issue here third time okay what the fuck's happening you know is this guy basically completely unsafe to put on the field and you know the team is not done well with how they treated him. Like, I remember Mike McDaniel making comments like, oh, he's watching TV on the plane backwards. He was fine. And it's like, dude, like, read the room. Read the room on terms of concussions and the severity in which we're reading, the, like, we're dealing with them now. And so I think for Tua, you know, if he could get a full season, if he's healthy for a whole season, this offense should sing. It should score a crap ton of points and if Vic Fangio and Jalen Ramsey and David Long's a I think a, an underestimated like linebacker pickup if they can come in and just kind of live up to even like they're just a reputation roughly then this defense should be good as well it should be a step up or even above what they had last year um so I think you know there's every reason to be optimistic as a Dolphins fan but there's every reason to be you know a little bit afraid as well and I think on the offense the only person more like like, like just below importance of Tua and kind of related to Tua is a Terran Armstead like Terran Armstead when they had him there in left tackle last year was great and he kind of made that whole offensive line much better and when he went out it, you know maybe it's just coincidence obviously I'm a statistician so you know correlation does not imply causation but certainly the injuries kept Stacking up for Tua when Terran Armstead happened to be out of the, the lineup. And the rest of the offensive line, you know, Eichenberg, Hunt, Austin Jackson, maybe Isaiah Wayne comes in there on the right tackle position. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not great. Terran Armstead, you know, we, we've talked in the past about these kind of, you know, left tackles who protect you and just give you so much more certainty. Terran Armstead is one of those guys that makes a huge difference. So, you know, they definitely would love, if, if Terran Armstead and Tua stay healthy, this team you know, look out, basically. But, you know, that hasn't been true for a while for either of them, so you have to be sceptical. Uh, and on the defense, like, I think the front four, or even the front seven, is solid. Like, there's good players, like Christian Wilkins in there, Jerome Baker's a good linebacker. Uh, but a lot of it's just kind of guys who are, are fine. Jalen Phillips, I think, certainly has good upside. Like, he had a good, solid rookie season. Bradley Chubb, maybe a little bit of disappointment after trading a first-round pick for him, um, but he's not a problem, per se. And then guys like Ogba, Van Ginkel, um, Malik Reed making up the numbers. It's like a solid, decent rotation. And the backfield there, yeah, Javon Holland was good for them there. Um, and Jalen Ramsey, like, look, is Jalen Ramsey the player he was like three or four years ago? Probably not. But can this guy still be like a kind of co-quarterback one with Javon Howard? Yeah. Yes. My biggest problem with that defensive backfield of Howard and Ramsey is just how streaky they've been in recent years. You know, there's certain games where they look dominant and they're shutting people down, and then there's certain games where they look a little bit off. Maybe they've lost a step or two. And as guys who like play being playmakers, who like getting up in your face, you know, maybe when they get exposed, it's a little bit more obvious to everyone, and they get a little bit more annoyed because of the reputations and the personalities that they have. But under Vic Fangio, they should have someone who, you know, has all the experience required to keep them, you know, on an even keel and going well. So. Look, Miami, they're exciting, they're fun, and I'm interested to see where they go this season, but uh, the biggest 
predictor of how it'll actually go would probably be uh, the health situation. Once again, to the playoffs, maybe like the elite teams can shut down the hill waddle uh, combo. But till like making the playoffs is the first objective. Get there and then we'll get there healthy, and then we'll talk about where they can go from there. But they're they they are exciting and they are a threat. Yeah, it's like, interesting you you were used the word streaky there for Ramsey because I mean this entire team last season was was super streaky. They you know they won games in bunches and they lost games and like they won five in a row then lost three in a row and won three in a row. like they 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 seem to have no consistency. And the thing I worry about is yes, the Hill Waddle thing works really well when it works, but it does seem that once if teams figure out a way how to stifle it in some way, they don't really have a plan B. They don't really have the flexibility to make it work. I don't, I don't know if I actually trust Tua yet. I think he's obviously improved, but I think an awful lot of that is that he's got two really good wide receivers to throw to. And yep. Tyreek Hill is just, he's just a machine that will get you yards no matter who's at quarterback. So, I mean, I, 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 I for me personally, the jury is still out on Tua a little bit. And on this team, I want to seek consistency i want to see this team have the ability to grind games out because i don't think we saw that last year and there's a big reason why they at their very best they look like one of the best teams in the league but they have the capability of you know not turning up and when that happens things go very badly so uh, yeah i think they'll be competitive but i i don't trust them and i don't trust two enough for to go much higher than yeah. you know mi- you know Playoff, mid-level playoff, but not elite, I would say, for the Dolphins. Yeah, like I, I think if, if you're seeing them as a genuine like Super Bowl contender, you probably just have to genuinely buy in that Mike McDaniel is the closest uh, to Shanahan in terms of his quality as a coach, in terms of his understanding of the offensive system, being able to generate yards using his his mind, basically. Because um, I think Tua is better than like Jimmy G. And so if in this offense, if Tua can be Jimmy G+, plus, you know, obviously it's better to have Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but in this offense, when it's purring and when you have these offensive weapons, um, then there's a chance that you can overcome. Maybe even if Tua isn't going to reach that, ever going to reach that elite level, um, but I think he has shown enough to be considered to. You know, he has a good, he has a decent ceiling, a solid ceiling, um, just maybe not the kind of Superman ceiling we're now getting used to in the AFC. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I think there was stretches of games where Tua looked good. But I'm kind of with Sean on this one that, like, my recurring memory of Tua when healthy last year was the occasional good throw, but a huge amount of underthrows and missed throws where Hill was coming back to the ball and making plays in it and Waddle was doing the same and they were covering up his lack of accuracy, his lack of a, of, of, of a good deep ball. Uh, and hopefully that'll be improved and hopefully they'll be able to figure out something a little bit more in the kind of short, medium range as well. Like I thought it was criminal last year that they didn't make more use out of Mike Isecki, um just because they wanted a blocking tight end instead of a receiving one because I think something like that would open them up a little bit more. But like I said, the sky's the limit if the things are clicking here because uh, I think the coaching is good. I think they have good top-end talent. I think maybe maybe there's bits of the roster that could do with a bit more depth in them. But like, you know, if you if you can keep if you can keep the quarterback upright and you've got those two wide receivers out there, you've got a puncher's chance in every single game. Uh, I've got them going eleven and six, which is enough for the three seed. Yes, the Dolphins win the division, and I have them go out in the wild card to a divisional rival. Uh, ten and seven for me, six seed going out in the wild card. I have them ten and seven as well, which is good enough for six seed. I have them going to the divisional. I have them taking a scalp. I think the Jags is who I have them beating in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, I see them. I see them being a dangerous team in the playoffs. So I'll put them in the divisional round before they go out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think I had it at 
playing a team that had played them twice already that they were a bit more prepared to take them on but yeah fun times uh well that'll wrap up the afc east for now any crack with yourselves for the for the weekend lads it's the champions league final uh which does not at all age when this podcast was recorded whatsoever uh so we get to watch man city probably uh end football by winning the treble and thereby thereby destroying all accomplishments ever in the future um, unless Inter Milan can do something mad. Uh, I don't know. I'm very ambivalent about the whole Man City thing, obviously, but uh, they are very good at football, which is which is annoying. Um, Fair enough. All right, yourself, it's. I will be in cabin for family stuff, but yes, I'll probably be catching the Champions League while I'm at it. Very good. Yeah, I am going to uh, Kerry for the weekend for a uh, for a barbecue. So uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully, the weather stays nice because uh, I prefer barbecues outside other than like having everyone crammed inside while someone stands outside in the rain cooking barbecue but uh, fingers crossed we, we keep this nice weather going uh, so I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week so uh, it's bye from myself bye from Ronan bye bye from Sean bye this has been All Four Quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week bye.